You're listening to Pastor Don Cherry from Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, recorded December 20th, 2020. For more information about our church, visit our website, svbcfamily.com, or find us on all things social at svbcfamily. I think that has become a Christmas classic, hasn't it? Just tremendous truth in that song, Mary, Did You Know? But as I think of that question that is being asked of Mary, some ways I, I think she did know what was going on. Being a young Jewish girl, maybe she wouldn't have known the scriptures like boys were required to at that time. But I'm sure she had an idea and a thing that something was happening. And the reason I say that is because when you read the Christmas account in scriptures, You'll see that Mary pondered these things in her heart. I think she knew some things were going on. I knew she, this. I think she knew this was a special time, but maybe just didn't know all the detail about that. Because see, here's the thing: back in the old covenant, everything Scripture lays out the Christmas story to a T. Matter of fact, go to the book of Isaiah with me, if you would. We're going to look at three portions of Isaiah. We're going to look at the um, miraculous birth his sacrificial death and his glorious kingdom all out of the book of Isaiah this morning in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 a very familiar passage of scripture the Bible says therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now put yourself for a moment in the position of Isaiah. This was written probably about six, seven hundred years before Christ would be born. And so Isaiah is writing this thing, and I'm just wondering what's going through his mind and all this. You know, there, there, there's some things of prophecy that, I don't know, as far as I'm concerned, there's some things of prophecy that, that, that bring a joy. To bring a happiness, you know. I think, how many of you, let me ask you something, how many of you were around in 1948? Okay, some of you were around in 1948, okay. Um, my model didn't roll off until 55, so I'm, you know, I, I'm not quite quite there yet. But uh, those of you that were, and maybe if you had some, you know, you were a few years and all, you might, might remember that in May 1948, the nation of Israel was reborn. Okay, um, came back after almost 2,000 years of not being a people, not being a nation. Here they are in their ancestral homeland that God had given them as an answer to prophecy. Ezekiel chapter 37, 38, 39. And you know, so you see that. And to me, that's exciting. You know, here Ezekiel wrote this, and here it is. In, in our lifetime, we've seen that, we view that, and that is tremendous, you know. But then there's other prophecy. Like maybe you go over to Matthew chapter 24 and you see what the end times is going to be. And you read about the violence and the death and the corruption and nation against nation and everything and sickness and disease and all. And, you know, maybe those are just some things that we really don't want to know. You know, they, they don't bring a smile to our face, so to speak. And so I have to wonder first, what is Isaiah thinking? as this prophecy is being given to him, you know, what's going through his mind, but also to consider also, Mary, did, you, did she know? Did she understand? She was pondering some things in her mind 
So maybe she had an idea of what a special time was coming upon her. So notice it says there that the virgin, and, and better scriptural interpretation would not be a virgin, but the virgin. Okay, because we know virgin birth is miraculous. Amen? Okay, I mean, it doesn't happen without the other way, but here we see a young lady, you know, and most likely Mary was somewhere around 13, 14 years old, you know, which would have been typical, you know, for a Jewish girl to have gotten married and began bearing children back then. So here we see about the virgin, the virgin shall conceive, and all we're talking about a specific choice and not just some random happening. This is something that just happened. This was all in God's plan. This was all in God's design. Matter of fact, the Bible says before the foundation of the world. Okay, this is all part of God's plan. And then also Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. You know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was with them in person, wasn't he? He walked with them. He taught them. He lived with them. And also there he was 2,000 years ago. But today, we understand that Christ, through the person of the Holy Spirit, is with each and every believer. You know, that anywhere we go, Christ is there. We take him with us because our body is his temple, the Scripture says. And this is where he indeed dwells. So we see that this birth was indeed a miraculous birth because it was in the plan of God before the foundation of the world. The virgin, specific, no random happening, is going to conceive. And the one that she is going to bring forth is going to be God with us the very God of creation as we heard on the song then I want you to go over to Isaiah chapter 53 and this is one I'm sure that you are uh, quite familiar with Isaiah chapter 53 and we're just going to let the scripture here kind of speak for itself Isaiah 53 we're going to begin in verse 1 who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised. He's rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. I want to stop for just a moment there so that we understand where this is going to. Obviously, Isaiah 53 is once again a prophecy of the suffering Messiah, of the one who would come, the Emmanuel who would come. Yes, the Son of God, born, born among men, but yet he came for a purpose, and that is to be our sacrifice. That is to die for your sins and my sins. But I want, you, I want you to notice some wording there. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now, that word smitten literally means to kill or to slay. So now let's look at that verse in light of what it's talking about there. We did esteem him stricken, slain of God, and afflicted. Why do I bring that out? I want you to understand, folks, this was before the foundation of the world. This was God's plan that His Son, the second person of the Trinity, would literally become the sacrifice for you and I. And, everything. and so God, in eternity past, determined 
that this was going to take place. So yes, God did slay him. God did kill him. And all this was God's plan, but it was all because he loved you and he loved me to provide a Savior for us. Verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now all we like sheep, we've gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That Lord, capital L-O-R-D, literally refers to Jehovah. Okay? This is a, this is a declaration. This is Jehovah speaking. This is the eternally self-existent one that is telling us this. In verse 7, he was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison, from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. You see, Christ didn't suffer because of himself. Christ didn't suffer just so, you know, a religion could be founded after him. The whole purpose of his suffering, he had you and I in mind. He had your sin and my sin in mind. He became the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world, and there was our sacrifice that we could roll our burden upon him, and there he would carry that for you and I. His sacrificial death, we've seen his miraculous birth, his sacrificial death for you and I, and then turn over to verse six, chapter 65. Chapter 65. And what we're going to look at now is His glorious kingdom. We are here today because of His miraculous birth. We are here today because of His sacrificial death. And you know what? We are here today because there's a glorious kingdom coming. Verse, uh, chapter 65, beginning in verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and join my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her nor the voice of crying. Jump down to verse 25. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock. And dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Says Jehovah. God's declaration. Now, think for just a minute. You're Isaiah the prophet, okay? And you hear that first, that miraculous birth. Man, the virgin's going to bring forth. God is going to be with us. This is great. This is wonderful. And then you also hear chapter 53. Oh, my goodness. What is this? He's going to die? His blood's going to be shed? God is going to literally strike him? How, how, how can there be any joy in that? And then you go over to chapter 65. I'm going to make everything new. I'm going to create everything new. There's going to be a new kingdom, and the lion's going to lay down on the lamb and all, and it's going to be wonderful. There's going to be joy, and that joy is not going to be in our government. That joy is not going to be in our politics. That joy is not going to be in our money. That joy is in Jesus. That's where we will have that joy, you see. And I want us to understand this morning, folks, we are here because of his miraculous birth. 
If not for that birth, then why, why are we wasting our time? What are we here for? We're here because of a sacrificial death. Because you know what? That binds us, doesn't it? That binds us. That's what we have in common. We saw last week, and oh man, we're from different parts of this country. We're from different upbringings and all. We have very little humanly in common, but you know, spiritually, we have eternity in common because of Christ. And then we are here because there's hope that one day there's something better than this life. There's something better than this world. And it's all new. And it's going to be joyous. It's going to be wonderful because Christ is not going to be the babe in the manger. Christ is not going to be the prophet walking the dusty grounds of the Middle East. He's going to be king of kings and lord of lords, you see. And that is where our hope is, folks. That is where we have our hope. And speaking of hope, I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Lord's Supper is one of two ordinances that the church has been given to observe, baptism being the other one. We understand, and I know um, you know this, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I think it's important that we um, that recall that these ordinances, there's no salvation in them. You know, you can take the Lord's Supper every day and still die and go to hell, you know. You can live in that baptistry back there up to your neck in water and still die and go to hell, you see. But we understand that there's a purpose in these ordinances, that they have a picture, they declare a message. And, of course, Jesus, in instituting the Lord's Supper at the end of the Passover, there was basically, you know, two items. He said the bread, which is unleavened bread, and leavening in the Bible is always a type of sin, all right? Christ's body was sinless, but yet it was broken for you and I. And he says, this represents my body and a thing that was broken, that was given as a sacrifice for you. And then the fruit of the vine represents his blood which was shed on our behalf. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And no, we Christians do not have a bloody religion, but we realize and everything that it is the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. It is nothing that we do. It is not our works that do that. It is not our baptism that does that. It is not our church membership that does that. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses from all sin. And so as we do this, you know, we don't do it as a church rite, okay, R-I-T-E. We don't do it so we can feel better about ourselves religiously. We do it in remembrance. But not only in remembrance of what Christ did, but also in the hope that we have in Christ. Because if you remember, now I'm in 1 Corinthians 11. I'm taking a little different passage here and everything. But at Christ, in Matthew chapter 26, when he instituted the Lord's Supper at the end of the Passover and everything, he closed it out by saying that I will not partake of this again until I drink it with you new in my kingdom. Hope that Christ is speaking to us that he will take of this new when we are together in his kingdom, you see. And so there we find hope in the taking of the Lord's Supper at this time. So if you'll look at verses 23 and 28 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says, 
For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered you, that the Lord the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken from you. Do this in remembrance of the church. Cool. All right, you're paying attention. In remembrance of who? Remembrance of Christ, right? We remember him. And then after the same manner also, he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do as often as you drink it, again, in remembrance of me. Now, look at verse 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Now, examining ourselves, what's Christ talking about? And everything, well, I should say, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, what's he talking about here? Keep in mind, Corinthians. The book of Corinthians and all first and second Corinthians were more than anything corrective books. All right, the church at Corinth was an immature church. There's a lot of things that have kind of integrated into that church, and one of the things that they were misusing the Lord's Supper and all. In fact, that they were basically every time they come together, they were bringing food. And they were just having kind of a, a gluttonous time together and drinking wine and all that, and calling it the Lord's Supper and trying to make something spiritual out of but didn't resemble anything spiritual at all. So Paul is coming along saying, oh, hang on, wait a minute, guys, you're going about this thing wrong. Everything. This is a special time. This is not something that you just do flippantly. This is something that, first of all, before you enter into it, you need to examine your heart. You need to look inside. Because if you go down through there uh, in that Scripture and look in verse 30, Everything for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Basically, you know what Paul was saying there? You folks that are doing this wrong, where your heart's not where it's supposed to be, and you're doing this in a way that doesn't bring honor and glory to Christ, you know what? Judgment's coming. And on some of you, judgment has already come. Some are weak. Some are sick. Some of you just flat out died. You say, Pastor, man, that seems kind of cruel. That seems, I said, look, look. God takes very seriously how we picture things in His Word, okay? He takes very seriously. And this was given specifically to His body, to His church, to believers, to remember what Christ endured and went through so that you and I can have the joy of salvation, okay? I don't want us ever to forget that. And so this morning, as we enter in to this time of the Lord's Supper, I'd like to have every head bowed and every uh, eye closed. And Barbara, if you would just go over to the piano or keyboard for just a moment.